Welcome to the show, Brain Health, Unchaining Your Pain. And I am really pleased. I'm really looking forward to hosting the show with the amazing Dr. Rob Kelly. Welcome to the show, Dr. Rob. Thank you, Dr. Ruth. Awesome to be here. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know uh, Dr. Rob Kelly, he's a sought-after recovery expert who believes in treating the cause of addiction and not the symptoms. You're on the same wavelength as me. He's appeared on shows such as The Doctors, The Eye Opener, Good Morning Texas, and Ken 5 Morning News. He's a frequent collaborator, contributor, sorry, to the radio and print interviews, including The Jim Bohannon Show, Miracles in Recovery, USA Today, and so much more, including Harvard Medical School. And he's host of the Breaking Through Addiction podcast, He's also helped people in prisons through the work he's done on his recovery uh, DVDs and also recovery treatment centers. He's helped people throughout the US and he is currently the CEO of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group, an addiction and mental illness recovery coaching company. What an amazing uh, journey you've been on to, to get to where you are today. And I am really looking forward to diving into your story because it's such a an important one, uh, given the crisis that we're facing in today's world with the pandemic and how the situation of addiction has been on the rise. Definitely. Thank you so much. Great introduction. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, let's dive in. Let's just uh, <laughs> let's have a great, uh, a great hour together. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. So so before we start, I'd love to know what you are passionate about in life right now. I'm passionate about helping people. And I know that might sound a bit, ooh, really? But it really is important to me. I believe that one human being to another, uh, if we did more kind acts and cared about other people, then uh, life and the world would be better. So 20% of our earnings go back out into the community, into the addiction community. And we also add $150,000 of our own money every year. And, and, and we give or donate that to one parent families who's trying to get the children back or, you know, guys that uh, have kids that need to go to court or need a job or resume, whatever it is, we're always there to help people out. So that is kind of my primary purpose today is help another person and another family. Yeah. Do you know, I love that. And I think we forget that how important that is in today's society we can become so insular and so um protective of our own you know self-preservation that we forget about other people yes. just because of the way the society seems to have evolved um is is we can become very insular and very disconnected from the problems that other people are facing and, and very ignorant or just ignore <laughs> what's what's going on around them and i think that we need to open our eyes more and be more aware of how we can support others. And it, it may just take one kind act, but it could change that person's trajectory in life significantly. Yeah, there's been so many occasions where a word or a comment or, and I get my patients all the time to do this. You know, part of this uh, program, a little tiny part is compliment three people every day. Mm. And I compliment yeah. somebody, you know, dopamine's released it to my brain. It's a win-win situation, but if you don't, let me say, so if you don't think that a little compliment uh, is going to do anything, next time you're in an area with lots of people, pick one person out, nice t-shirt, shirts, sneakers are always best, training shoes, and just say to them on the way past, nice training shoes, and then watch them as they walk away from you. 
They'll look down at their shoes at least three times during the walk away from you. Now, he's obviously in a good mood now, so he's going to go to the wife or girlfriend because mm -hmm. he's in a good mood, she's in a good mood, and then her mom calls her to see how she's doing. Well, she's in such a great mood, and on and on, and the ripple effect is amazing. Uh, do you know I love that? And I often pick, pick <laughs> being a woman, I love to pick hair. So I love to comment, like, oh, often if you go into the washroom or in the UK, it would be the toilet. <laughs> um, you go in and you just comment on somebody's mm. hairdo and just say, I really love your hair. It looks amazing. Um, just you can really let <laughs> people say, they go, oh, wow, thanks. Because you can tell when people have made a big effort and they deserve to yeah. be praised for the effort of, you know, making their hair look beautiful. <laughs> so. yeah, there's an incident in uh, in California where... A guy was going to commit suicide and he's going to walk to the Golden Gate Bridge and he's going to jump off. Now, it's so high that when nobody survives it or one or two may have done over the last hundred years. But uh, he started off walking and he got to the bridge and he threw himself off and he died. When the police arrived, they find out who he was and they go back to his apartment to find out what else is going on. And they find a note on the table. True story. And the note read, I am going to the Golden Gate Bridge to commit suicide. If anybody on my walk there says hello, hi, or compliments me, I'm going to turn around and not do it. Wow. And that really hit me in the heart. It's like, forget what we look at, like on the outside. Everybody's going through something internally. And you, we have the power to change that with a comment or a sentence and just change their day. And I think that's part for me of, of giving back, that's part of being a decent human being is it's not about me today, Dr. Ruth, it really isn't. It's about other people. I have the power to help other people and I'm not gonna be selfish and keep that to myself. Do you know, I think that's such a powerful statement and it just takes one word, doesn't it? One word when you say, you say to someone, hello or hi, <laughs> that would have changed that person's trajectory in life. And yes. by by not having that engagement, that acknowledgement that they exist. Um, exactly. That's we're, we're social animals, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. isolation, especially with alcoholics, kills alcoholics um, and drug, drug addicts as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's I just, you know, say hello to somebody. You see, I'm always the, the annoying one in an elevator or a lift <laughs> where everyone's looking in 60 directions. I'm the one who gets on and goes, Oh, everyone having a great day, guys. What's your day like? You know, just Do you know like, I I love this because I when I go into London sometimes and people might might find this funny too, is there's this kind of unwritten rule that you don't talk on the train. <laughs> and I can't help but talk and get curious about people, especially yeah. on the underground, because it's like everybody's got their head buried in their phones. It used to be the newspapers in the olden days, but now yes. it's their phones. And there were these two guys that were chatting on the train. Uh, recently when I was in London and I said I'm really curious are you do you are you friends do you know each other from work or are you brothers what, what's the story because nobody talks on the train and they said they said they were just friends and I was like well that's enough I just I wanted to know and let them carry on with their conversation but people don't talk do they no, they don't they connect really. even though they're next to each other and it's so important it is especially after covid Everyone's isolated, you know, it's like the communication skills sort of went down and down from there. And I was speaking to, a, to a, some kid the other day and I was asking him about social belonging and, you know, social behavior. And he said, well, I, I have 5,000 friends on Facebook. 
And my, re my reply was, well, in actual fact, you just plug into the wall. You need that social communication that, you know, one of the things that brings uh, serotonin out in the brain is that social belonging. We need it because lack of serotonin, we know what happens. You get depressed. What to do when you get depressed? You go to the doctors. It gives you an SSR. And in a few weeks time, you feel great. Well, guess what? In nine times out of 10, if you would have known quite well that it's low in serotonin, not going out there, social bonding with sunlight, we may not end up on the medication. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to know, um, before we dive right into your story, what does optimal brain health mean for you personally in the context of your journey? It's Well, with everything I've learned and been through, it, it's as simple as this. It's four words. It's uh, endorphins, it's dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. When the four chemicals are present in my brain, it's impossible for me to have a bad day, period. And it's also impossible for me to relapse while I'm working the program and have these chemicals around as well. So, you know, that's what it means to me. It just means that, you know, I love the one day at a time thing because it doesn't mean to me being an alcoholic, doesn't mean not drinking. It just means live today, you know, because when we get on here at 2.15, we're never going to get that time back again yeah. it's gone it's finished it's over so i'm a big believer is i and the reason why i don't do a lot of work on on podcasts that i come on is i don't get my day till 8 p.m the, the, the previous night and my assistant will call me and said okay just sent your day through and there's my day i'll go next month and i live that day completely i have no idea what i'm doing tomorrow because that's the way i've got to live for me yeah i do you know i think that's so important that we live live in the moment and live for the day because when we focus on the present, mm -hmm. we can celebrate the little nuances that that day brings. And it's so easy to not be engaged, not be in that present moment and not be connected yes, <laughs> to definitely. the present, you know, and we get pulled back into past negative self-talk, negative beliefs, mm -hmm. negative experiences that can overshadow our day. Yes, And if we can just live in that present moment, and look at what the world offers us and how we can really truly connect with the world and with the people mm -hmm. around us. Then... That's, when, that's when life takes off, Dr. Ruth, I think. Yeah. You know, because you start seeing things around it that you normally miss. Yeah. If you're worrying about tomorrow, worrying about a bill, worrying about everything, you know, it's terrible because if you look at fear and worry itself, they're kind of wasted emotions because nine out of 10 times they don't come true. And you yeah. can't worry about yesterday, there's nothing you can do, it's gone. So, you know, I, I know for a fact, with, with just looking at the basal ganglia, is that we are what we repeatedly do today. We're not who we were days, yeah. weeks, months ago. And I have no idea what's happening in the future, what the universe, God, Uncle Jimmy up there has for me. So it really is. And, and the, you know, the, the, the calmness itself with the central nervous system, knowing that today, the 12 hours that I'm up and about, I, uh, I can do my best today. I can cram everything in today. And I, I never put things off. We have a 7.3 second rule here. And that's if you have an idea or, or thought plan to do something, we've got to do it in the first 7.3 seconds. So if I want to go to the gym tomorrow and I'm laying in my armchair eating chips or crisps, I suppose I'll go to the gym tomorrow. It makes me feel good. But unless I get up in that 7.3 seconds, get my bag, put my sneakers, training shoes in, put it near the door, I'm not going to go. Yeah, the do it tomorrow syndrome. Yes, yes. <laughs> I lived like that for such a long time. 
<laughs> so I'd love to go back in the start of your journey where you were fearful, where you were living in that life of fear, because you mentioned that those emotions, you know, they don't always serve us. What, what I know you were, your journey started near to where I am because I'm in Oxfordshire. So I'd love to, if you would be willing to take us back to where your journey really started that got you on this path that you're on now. Yeah, I, I took my first drink at the age of nine with a musical family. I was actually playing on stage with them. So, you know, with the education and, and experience I have, that's where my alcoholism started because alcoholics are born and drug addicts are made. And I can go into that later on uh, more in depth if you'd like to. But, you know, it just, it's alcohol seemed to just give me that answer, that courage, that that's being strong and just being tall and indispensable. That alcohol gave me that. So for a long time, it worked for me. It really did. And I used to drink every Friday and Saturday night when I was, you know, playing with my musical family out there in clubs mm -hmm. and pubs. And uh, over the years, you know, you see looking back right now, there were so many signs there. There were so many things. But this is in the 70s and early 80s, and not a lot of people knew anything about alcoholism, never mind drug addiction. There was definitely no pharmaceutical addictions out there. Didn't want even hear of it. But that's what it all started to go wrong between the ages of around 18, 19, 20 is when I started to depend on alcohol. So my, my school life uh, was fine. Because a lot of people say, your home life this and your, your school, or that's what's caused it. It's like, look, here's the deal. It's hereditary. There's no such thing as catching. You can't drink too much alcohol and become an alcoholic. Now, you can take quantities of drugs and become uh, an addict because of the addictive personality. But there's two parts of the brain that differs from the alcoholics and the drug addicts. So I was always doomed to either die or get help. That was my two choices. But I can see pivotal moment through, you know, high school. Like, I'm glad I'm speaking to an English person. When I, when I say primary school, they go, what? What's that? So I was <laughs> in primary school and, and uh, obviously... Uh, secondary. Secondary school, yeah. Or high school, if we're in the UK, guys. You know, I could see it, you know, being... It was a good aid for me. And then when I went to university, because uh, I'm the only person in my family ever to go to university, but uh -huh. I'm an alcoholic. I'm either all in or I'm all out. That's one of the traits of alcoholism is like we don't do things at half measures. That's why I've done some crazy things in my life. And then slowly but surely it just got out of hand. I mean, it really did. It was over a, a period of time, long period of time, 10, 20 years. I don't, can't remember how long, but yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't good. But I remember instant that everybody wants me to share. And I'm, I'm outside a liquor store off license and it's 5.30 in the morning and, you know, guys in England, you'll understand the, the, the corner shops, they open at 6 a.m. but can't serve alcohol till 10. But this guy, it was snowing. I'm in a vest, pair of shorts and flip-flops and I'm sweating profusely and my head is banging, the shakes are there. I know from experience that I'm going through some sort of DTs or uh, something bad's going to happen. So he opens the door, I goes in, I can't even hold it. 10 pound and I can't really talk and my head's banging and I'm shivering, sweating and I put my 10 pound on the counter on this one occasion and I don't know why it was this one occasion the shopkeeper put the bottle of vodka and this is what happened <laughs> and for that instance <clears throat> everything slowed down I remember in slow motion looking at the because my the shakes have gone, the sweats have stopped my mood had changed, the headaches are gone my mood was 
just like winning the lottery. I remember looking at the shopkeeper, a Pakistani gentleman, looking back to the bottle and thinking, oh my goodness, it's not the alcohol. And that was my huge uh-uh moment when I went back into studying, went back to Southampton, got a second PhD in behavioral science. Yeah. Like, this goes much deeper. It goes much deeper than anybody thinks it does. And that's where my journey started. Wow. And um, how old were you, if you don't mind me asking, at the time <coughs> that incident happened? I want to say around 24, 25. So um, and what did you do? Obviously, you were in flip-flops and, and what, what was your... Obviously, that was an aha moment, but what happened after that? You know, you, you realised... It wasn't the physical drink that you were addicted. You, you had this addiction yeah. that was, you know, driving you to to reach for alcohol. But it, there was a much deeper level to it than purely the consumption of it. Yes, I uh, I'd stayed on the streets for another year, so I was on the streets for about fourteen months after that. See, I was at and, that. And point. So you finished university and then went on I the streets. University, yes. No, I was finished university. Then I got married. And then I end up on the streets after about oh. two or three years of marriage as it started oh. to go down. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was just at that point I couldn't stop drinking <clears throat> and I never realized that. And when I was on the streets, <clears throat> I had the house, the cars, I had everything that anybody could imagine. And uh, I never thought I would ever end up on the streets. But I remember sat on the streets for the first mm. night in Manchester, cold Piccadilly Gardens. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, where did it all go wrong? But still didn't think I had a problem with alcohol, Dr. Ruth. Wow. It took 14 years of abuse, 14 years of fighting every day to stay alive, freezing cold, family wouldn't speak to me, tried calling them, sent to the house, they wouldn't answer the door. And I was abandoned on the streets of Manchester. And only after 14 months did I drop down on my knees one night and started crying like a baby from the stomach. I wasn't crying because I'd lost my children or my wife or my house or cars or business. I was crying because the first time in my life I realized I couldn't stop drinking. Wow. That's what it took. And then <clears throat> what did you do then? What was the next step? Well, I had what's called a spiritual awakening. Um, uh-huh. And a guy come around the corner and, and helped me and took me back to his house. And uh, he said, you can stay here for as long as you want, but you've got to come to a 12-step meeting with me, which I didn't want to go, but it was a bed for the night, so I went. While I was there, I met a guy called John, who I asked for him to sponsor me, and he said, no, but I'll be a spiritual advisor for 12 weeks. And that is where my journey rocketed into the fourth dimension, because I went to John's house every single Wednesday at 7 o'clock, He'd take me through the big book. He'd take me through philosophy, psychology, God, everything like that. And uh, when I finished going at 12 weeks, I knew that if I continued to do what he told me, I'd never drink again. But I had more confidence. And he Mm -hmm. told me that things would happen, and they did. So after, you know, a week, two weeks of working, which I never thought I'd do, and I'm in this guy's basement on a blow-up mattress, Mm -hmm. I bought a little card for him and a teddy bear, and I took it back to the apartment. I'd been going for 12 weeks, and... He wasn't there. And both neighbors said, there's never been anybody there. It's derelict. You can't go in the apartment. Went back to the meeting and asked everybody, remember John from a couple of months ago? I was speaking to him in the corner. And they said, no, you were speaking to yourself in the corner. There was nobody. Never found that man, but that's what changed my life right there and then. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. 
That's amazing. So, so, so you had this spiritual awakening with a person called John. Yes. You lived on the in the basement of this flat that John owned. Derek, Derek owned the flat. Oh, Derek owned the flat, but you were talking to John as your spiritual guide. Yes. What did what was what was the next transition in your life? Obviously, you started to get a job. What? How, how did you transition into this job? Because I think you know a lot of people may be aware of uh, addicts whether it's drug addicts or uh, alcoholics um, who, who are or any other addiction really, but I think we'll focus on the alcoholism because it's such a prevalent problem. And they don't think they're able to get their yes. lives back. Exactly, and that's the, that's the sticking point. So if you are listening to this and you are in that condition, you are at home or stuck in a one bedroom flat somewhere and you don't think you're any good and you don't think you're amount to anything, you don't think you can do anything with your life, I want to apologize to you because somebody's put that there. We are born with, remember that, that you'll know this, Dr. Ruth, we're at home we used to play football in the streets, kick a ball around and, you know, what do you want to be, Billy? I want to be a professional footballer. What about you, Tony? I want to be an astronaut. You know, I often think back and go, what happened to them dreams? Well, I'll tell you what happened to mine. My parents and friends kicked them dreams out of me. You know, I was not allowed to go to these schools. I wasn't allowed to mix with these people. We grew up on council estates. You know, we went hungry sometimes. And these ideas got kicked out of us. You know, it was, it was, so listen, if you are there, you know, if you can visualize something, you can hold it in your hand. Just take a quick peek at quantum physics for a second. You really can become anybody you want to become. We have to be rid of the trauma. That's the gateway drug, by the way, guys. After rid of the trauma, and then we have to treat alcoholism as a whole, which are therapies, 12-step groups, uh, my company. And then we can get, get you to a different place where literally you can apply for any job you want. I mean, it's 2022. We're the biggest companies in the world now don't require a college degree. Most no. of them work from home. I'm uh, about, and I'm many not... of the successful people, you know, take Albert Einstein. I didn't. His teacher didn't think he was going to come to much. <laughs> Edison, yes. nobody believed in the light bulb. Yes. You know, Elon Musk. People we used to mock him. Look how successful yes. he is. Yes. So I mean, look at me. You know, from a council estate, the lowest council estate. It's called the Racecourse Estate in Manchester, notoriously known for our great firm. You know, uh, from there to losing everything, my two children, which is the youngest, the youngest one I've never seen in 30 something years. And then, you know, the homelessness, the fighting back, the getting back on track. And all of a sudden, um, I'm here where I am today. You know, one of the most sought after doctors, addiction doctors in the world. And we work with high profile people, high profile government people, sports players, everything. They all come to me because I think what's interesting is not only have I been through it, but I've also researched it. But the yeah. going through it, Dr. Ruth, I think is the most important thing of all that. Well, they call it all the trauma and everything I've been through, but I call it like a semester at Harvard University. The experience, the, the living it, the knowing how to get out of that situation becomes a very valuable asset for going forward and helping other people. Do, do, if you don't mind me asking, do you know what the triggers were in the context of the trauma the starting trauma that was the catalyst to everything abandonment was was the big one trauma for me and abandonment like you wouldn't believe everyone thinks abandonment is you left alone tend to yourself no i mean 
alcoholics hear things different and see things and uh, hear things different and uh, see things different sometimes because the two parts of the brain hypothalamus basal ganglia don't work like mm -hmm. other people so we hear things we we're always on that fight or flight like high wire bouncing we never get to slow down on anything so when i talk about trauma then we have to look at trauma what was my trauma <clears throat> little tiny one my parents used to drop me off at their friends on a friday night i was about eight or nine and when my parents left we called run around naked game where everybody took the clothes off and ran around in this house trying to catch each other that was my biggest trauma ever. It affected relationships. It affected future yeah. wives. It affected, you know, guy relationships because I thought that was normal. So we came up with a saying here at Road Killing Recovery Group, and that is that anything less than nurturing is child abuse. If you have the alcoholic thinking and alcoholic tendencies, uh, and it's and it's it's proved to be true over the twenty odd years we've been saying that. It's like lots, lots of, lots of trauma. I, I just thought they dropped me off and that was that what I had to do. But looking back, that was child abuse. Yeah. You know, and I don't my, think you really necessarily understand when you're a child. No, not at all. What, what, what actually was going on. Um, certainly a lot of people that I talk to who've experienced abuse as a child, you may not realise it, that it's abuse until you're an adult because you don't fully understand Yes. that experience because you've experienced it in the context of a child's mind and so you just thought well that's just normal because you trust everybody yes and then when you get to your teenage years often you start you know as a teenager you start to you know you have all these hormonal developments and then you start to realize actually that was not normal in the context of my childhood your childhood there were certain things that aren't normal and it does affect you hugely yeah, and it affects everything going forward and the correlation between both. One person can't go back and think of that. You need an outside entity, a third party to come back and piece that together because my my feelings were all intertwined into one. There was fear, there was love, there was abuse. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't know what love from hate. I didn't know mm -hmm. because all them feelings and trauma mixed together and what we have to do is pick the hate out and like ravel it and put it in its own place and the same with love and everything like that. But, you know, really go back and, and dig into that trauma. Everybody has trauma as a child. Everybody does. Uh, the, the, even birthing trauma, you know, we can't, and, and pre-birth trauma as well can, can get entangled into everything too. So Exactly. So when I ask people on time, let's go back and look at trauma, we use brain spotting and they go, oh no, I don't have any trauma. I had a great, I had a fantastic childhood. And then when we start to pick it apart, we realize that they lived in a million dollar house and they got, they got, he got his first Porsche when he was 16, but dad was away nine months of the year and found out that that was abandonment because he never saw his yeah. dad. So there's, when you pick deep inside, you realize that the things you're doing today that I don't think are right. I keep, girls always say to me, why do I keep picking the same person that ends up being an alcoholic and ends up in violence? What was your caregivers like? Oh, wow. So we carry it any. We attract what we think we are worth. Yeah, we yeah. I, I can say it all the time. That becomes normal. So when you marry a normal guy with peace, it will never work out because your brain is going, this is, this is awkward. I don't like this love, these flowers. But when you join the, the relationship that's abusive, it makes you feel back at home again, even though it's abuse. Prison because it's become a comfort. <laughs> comfort zone. We always talk yeah. about um, Manchester 
young girls, 16, 17, got snatched off the streets. They didn't find her for nine months. Cut a long story short, they found her in a huge box, four foot high, 12 foot long. This guy kept her there every single day, took her out, abused her, shower back in for nine months. Nine wow. months when the police officer found her and lifted it over, she stopped out the box. The police officer took a coat and put it around her shoulders. The first thing she did was step back into the box. Because she begot, became so used to it because it was a safe haven, I imagine. Because as soon as she went out of the box, she was going to yeah. get abuse. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's just that's how our mind works. And we keep all that trauma. And we keep, you know, as you as you know, everything we see here, feel from birth is stored in the subconscious brain. Unfortunately, yeah. my disease is also stored there. So I don't see it coming nine out of ten times. But, you know, you can, you can go back and pull all them all them trauma bits, all the visuals, all the sound smells, everything yeah. with the right professional person and bring that out. And let me tell yeah. you categorically that when you get rid of your trauma, then you start to live life. Yeah, I, I very much agree. And I know you mentioned brain spotting, which is one modality that's hugely helpful for people. I use havening, which is another um, to help people on change <coughs> pain and, and unravel the trauma that often, often <coughs> arises from early childhood. Um, yeah. What is it that you had to do personally to, to get back and unravel the pain that you experienced from your childhood? Was it brain spotting that you, you used or were there other techniques that were super helpful for you to, to unravel what was the trigger in the first place? There was, but not until many years sober. It was nine, nine years ago. I've been here for 15 wow. years in San Antonio, but I had a breakdown in the breakdown was because of the trauma that I had not cleared up. So I actually went into a hospital, uh, wasn't a psych hospital, it was a, like a, a treatment center, uh, but they they used somatic experience, brain spotting and all these yeah, tools yeah. on me and it unraveled everything. So that's what it took to me. You know, it, it took really doing the work on, on myself and really find out who I was because, especially with alcoholism or breakup marriages, especially the woman kind of loses their identity do everything the man wants to do. It's usually all his friends. Usually sit on a Sunday and watch football because your husband wants football and all of a sudden the marriage splits up for whatever reason. All of a sudden you're on your own. You're abandoned again with no identity. That's what mm. happened to me. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And how how did that evolve into where you are um, today in the context of, of the work that you do now? Obviously you, you went into recovery and you were able to clear the trauma and, and rebuild yourself again? Well, I'd, I, we've been open. We had, we had practices in four countries mm -hmm. uh, eight years ago. And uh, it was about two years in, 18 months in, when I had the breakdown. So we had to close most offices and I went in. But, you know, when I came out, I felt like a new person. I could conquer the world. So we, I first thing I did is went back to, to the, that place and the, the developer and the creator of Somatic Experience was there, and he actually took me through his course. So then I became a practitioner, um, and then I started using it in my practice. I did brain spotting, you know, I did neuro-linguistic programming, and then went into deep study regarding the brain and alcoholism, not drug addiction, alcoholism. Mm -hmm. I found out that there's many, many different areas of the brain that, uh, complete functions that are not normal to the normal or drug addicted brain. That's when it really got really interested with me. It's like, there's more to learn about this. And, and so I did. And, uh, 
I don't think there's anybody else in the world specializing in the brain and alcoholism, not addiction, that's done more work, that's done more studies, that's done more tests than I have because it's it's a passion. It's also it's almost as if it's a, like a mental obsession that anything else that can aid, like brain spotting, and I I always thought that the eyes, the eyes, optical nerve brain. I didn't know the eyes were part of the brain, and it's the yeah, bone. yeah. It's like phenomenal stuff like that. It's like once you find out that you can go into the subconscious brain and start pulling that stuff out, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. And I think we forget how connected our senses are to our brain. You know, they're, they're, they're those five senses, and if the sixth is the one that we can't we can't actually yes. um, articulate, um, how much that influences our decision-making and how it influences the memory, memories that are stored how it influences our responses um, and how our brain actually stores those memories in yeah. certain parts of our brain where they get stored will be very much dependent on the experience you had and the emotions yes. are associated with it. Yes, definitely. So yeah. before we dive into what your true passion is now and how you help people, I'd love to uh, flip to the five pillars, the, the fun facts, looking at the five pillars of brain health that I use with my clients. So fun facts, so facts is the uh, mnemonic for the five pillars, feelings, actions, connections, thoughts, and surroundings. So let's dive into the first one, which is feelings. And I know you've talked about this quite a lot in the context of emotions. What is the funniest or most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? Well, um, I've never told this on air, and I've been on thousands of TV shows. On. I was, I, I, when, before I got uh, really sick, uh, <coughs> my daughter was three and was in the centre of Piccadilly in Manchester. And obviously, I was a, a little bit drunk. But they, they, they brought, they invented these new outside restrooms where it was just one toilet, but it was in this like shiny, I don't know, capsule, and you'd walk up and press it, and you'd walk in, and then obviously you press close and do whatever you need, so then click press open again, you'd walk out. Well, my wife had gone off and done something, so I took my three-year-old Charlotte in there, and obviously I'm sat down and I'm, you know, looking around for stuff, and all of a sudden she pressed the open button, and there was about a thousand people outside looking at me sat on the toilet. Yeah, that's got to be one of those. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can relate to that because I'm constantly having to tell my daughter to stand like a soldier in front of the door. And not <laughs> yeah. God. Oh my goodness. And there's nothing you can do because the button would have been too far away for you to press. Yeah. <laughs> I think the button is the button is near the door for a purpose. So you actually have to get up and press it to be safe. But not my daughter, no. I'm sure there's many parents that are listening that can super relate to that with little people who get get trigger friendly on yeah. the door on the door opening devices. <laughs> uh, I'd love to dive into the next one. Actions. What's the most rewarding or fulfilling thing you've ever done? I I, I picked a girl, a heroin addict, off her mum's sofa. They. Uh, hospital gave her months to die, sent her on to die kind of thing. She was frail. She, I don't know, we picked her off. She, her mum called me. I went down there, picked her off the sofa and took her back to my house. And uh, with me and that, my staff, we loved her. We worked with her free of charge uh, for about a month, maybe six weeks. And then we took her back home. She got a job. Her mum was so grateful. And about 10 years after, I'm sat in a 12-step meeting 
And I saw this girl come in and I was like, oh my goodness, that's her. And she sat down and the meeting went and at the end, they all say, if you've got anything, anyone got any last requests or anything? And she stood up and she looked straight at me. I'm gonna get emotional there because it was so emotional. He says, I wanna thank Dr. Rob because he saved my life. And I don't know any other man like him because everyone else had turned away. And today, I'm 10 years sober, Dr. Rob. Well, I just started crying. I thought wow. that is what it's all about, you know? Wow. And it's that one thing, you know, talking back at the beginning is that one intervention <coughs> can, you know, obviously it was a lot more in the context of that person's life, but saying that you would help them. Yes. Yes, it's um, beautiful. Change their life. So that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And I, you know, I, I've had one with people on Facebook where people have this kind of nervousness of helping people who might have a mental health issue. But we're all human. Uh, you know, we're all human. We 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 were all born. You know, by a parent. A parent gives birth to us. Yes. And we have a right to be helped and, and to be loved and to be cared for. And it, it's just a simple intervention of saying to someone, you know, I've got you. Please sit yes. with me and I'll help you. Actually, they said, thank you. I was going to take my life that day and yes. you saved my life. Yes. By purely, we talked about this at the beginning, didn't we? The importance of connection and, and having that human to human interaction and, and showing that you care. Yes, definitely. It's just so important. I, yes. I'd love to dive with that. I'd love to dive into connection with with others. Who's been your role model in your life? <clears throat> I would have to say, <clears throat> okay. So this is a bit of a weird one because my dad was always quiet. You know, he never really uh, commented or said hello. I met Arnold Schwarzenegger once. We, uh, I was bodybuilding in the early days. We got to pick him up from the airport. He was doing a couple of talks. And I stayed in, and I, and I was intrigued of how much uh, knowledge he had about the sport and, and about himself, but how how visioned he was about the future. Because I asked him a couple of questions, and I said, Arnold, you know, you're an amazing guy, you've got amazing physique, but when this physique goes, what are you going to do? Because you can hardly speak English, and America is such a large country. <clears throat> and he said three things to me. He said, first of all, I'm going to be governor of a state, preferably California, he kind of smiled. And he said, secondly, uh, I'm going to become the highest paid movie star in the world. Well, we couldn't help laughing because broken English, he was saying this in. And thirdly, he said, I'm going to marry into the Kennedy family. When that guy did all three things, he became my role model. That no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you are doing, where you've been, when your mindset is as strong as that, then you can achieve anything you want to achieve. And I always tell that story. It's like he is kind of my hero, my mentor, my my uh, guide in life. It's like whenever things get difficult, I remember him telling me, I'm going to be the great dad. That's all he sounded like. And I'm like, there's no way. And of course he did. So then yeah. instead of saying impossible, I stick an apostrophe in there and say, I'm possible all the time. Wow, I love I love that. And it, it reminds me of Steve Sims who appeared on the show. He's got this book, Go for Stupid. And it's about setting stupid, crazy 
I, you know, <laughs> and stuff uh, that no one thinks possible in by any stretch of the imagination. And you've yeah. just got to go for it because what you said earlier on is our circumstances in life. When we're kids, we dream of being astronauts, we dream of flying to the moon, we dream of all of these things. And at some point in our life, somebody tells us we can't. Yes. And then we listen yeah. to that, that story and yeah. we over and over and over and over. And, and as slowly diminish our power as we keep playing that, that record, that broken record. And when we let go of these limitations, we can accomplish whatever we set our mind to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, people used to say over here all the time when I told them that, they always used to reply back, well, I can't be president of the United States. Well, I beg to differ. We had a business, forget your political views, we had a business and running the country. Don't tell me you can't do anything you want to put your mind to. Yeah, yeah. And we've just had a new prime minister here in the UK who, it, it, you know, who's of Indian origin. Um, you know, the first off, so never say never. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I'd love... I'd love to dive into your story some more. Um, I want to go back to a little bit way back to what were the key steps for you personally that helped you break out of the struggles you were having with alcohol? What was it that were the real chain, you know, needle movers for you that really helped you, if you wouldn't mind sharing that? Yeah, I, well, I, I'm a big believer in 12-step meetings. I'm a big believer in the book they had there, very, very... Very, very good book. But, you know, routine. <clears throat> I had to get a routine in my life. I had to get my brain functioning where it had four or five things every single day to do. So my mind is not wandering. In layman's terms, I have a brain that wants to kill me and make it look like an accident every single day. So I have certain routine to change the neural pathways. We have that 7.3 seconds again pertaining to neural pathways that you can change them. We have the power to change them. We always use the elastic band or rubber band in the US, you know, to snap out of that thought pattern that's going to take me down. So I used all this information <clears throat> and was kind of focused on helping others. Once I started to help others, the compulsion and everything around that disappeared really, like overnight. Even today when I was feeling a bit down and, uh, you know, I've, I'm starting to go into a depressive mood, I call someone straight away. You go, Rob, I've not heard from you for ages. Yeah, I know, just checking how you are, blah, blah, blah. Put the phone down. You will not be the same as before you made that call. And it's that communication again. You know, hearing, so, oh, my God, Rob, I've not heard you for ages. It lifts my spirit as well, you know, that yeah. communication and connection. That's, that's mainly what it was for me and continues to be to this day. Yeah, do you know I really love that? Because there's nothing like connecting with people that you know. That you can pick up a phone to and it doesn't matter what you say to them they'll listen yeah I mean, and they'll get excited exactly and the energy levels will go up yeah and then you'll feed off each other <laughs> because you're getting more and excited and more more interested in what the topic is and engaged in what the other person has to say and so it gets better and better and better yes. and like you say you put the phone down you think Huh, huh, I'm going to do that again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely <laughs> changes your thought patterns. So I want to go back. You know, we started um, before we did the break on the fun facts. You were talking about how your clinics evolved. You have the breakdown and you came out of it. <coughs> uh, sensory training. 
um, uh, and became a practitioner in that space. And then obviously from there, you, you have built this practice, this amazing practice that you have now and all of the interviews and so on that you've done. What, what's been the biggest eye-opener for you in the context of developing the practice you now have. It's a great question. Great question. I realize that uh, 18, 90% of treatment centers out there are in it for the money and not the real thing. I realize that the pharmaceutical company runs America and probably England as well. They can't give you a pill or stick you into one of these treatment centers. Nobody wants to know. That's why there's not been much research, you know, going back. So we wanted to be different. We wanted to tell people that we guarantee our work. And the, the, and the way we do that is we're the only company in the world that offers back a money, money back guarantee if you relapse whilst continuing our program. Yeah. So I found out that nobody was doing any serious work on addiction as a whole, but certainly nobody was doing it on just alcoholism. So when we started to do that, we, we started to help, you know, lots of people. So over a 30-year period, 30, I don't know how long, uh, nearly 8,000 patients down the line uh, because I use a whole studies in Manchester Town Hall with like three or 400 people at a time, you know. So I think uh, tenacity and believing in, in what you have is, is, is new brain science that nobody else has right now and nobody else is practicing and that I can change the world because that's what I wanted to do, Dr. Ruth. You see, I'm an all or nothing guy. You know, I wanted to change the world. I wanted to impact the addiction industry like nobody ever has. And, and I've made a good job of that. Some people call me cocky and loud and I curse a lot when I want to get a point over. But I'm here and there's no denying me. There's no <laughs> denying the patients I've worked with and the good work we've done. And I know a lot of people don't like me out there. And that's fine because we don't like them either. But uh, I think when you know you're doing the right thing, I don't think anything can stop you. And over the 30 years, because obviously society has changed since you, since you started the practice, what's been the most notable shift in the types of people, if you, if you wouldn't mind kind of generalising, the types of people that come in? Have you noticed the shift in, in how people are presenting or the ages of people presenting or how, how they're actually physically presenting um, to you, I think a lot of people are willing to come out today. Alcoholism is still a dirty disease that nobody wants to know. Like I said before, we work with some of the biggest um, actors, footballers, government people, and they just don't want to come out after they've gone through the program. But over the last two or three years, maybe four years, uh, people are coming out and they're proud of their recovery. And you can actually see the turn in Hollywood. You know, there's more people getting sober right now than anybody else. These top actors, you know, Brad Pitt and everything, talking about his story, the guy from Friends, you know, coming out saying he's been sober for a few years. And I think now people are recognizing that alcoholism is a disease, you know, and, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. I always say that alcoholism a few years ago was where the gay community was in the 90s. You knew they were there, but nobody dared talk about it. And they fought really hard to bring it to fruition, and, and rightly so. Um, but we're going to do the same with addiction. We're going to do the same with that disease that nobody likes, and, and people are warming up to that idea. And I really applaud you with the money-back guarantee, you know, because it's very rare that any – I like to monitor the progress of my clients through their journey to make sure that my work 
is helping them. So I always want them to leave better when they arrive. Oh, 100%. And I, and I monitor that. But yeah. very often um, we have this prescribe and forget culture yes. in the medical space. Um, yeah. We have the uh, go into a clinic and forget or yeah. into a rehab centre and forget culture. We, we have no monitoring of the drugs that are given to people or whether indeed they're the right drugs for their brain type yes. um, and their genetic code, whether it's actually going to help them or hurt them. But there's so many aspects that we fall short of as a human race to help people get better and empower them to get better. We kind of take the power away because we feel that it's our right to rather than educate them and help them, which is what I love the fact that you're doing. It is yeah. so much more work to do in this space to help people know that they have so much power themselves. They've just got to do the work inside themselves to understand that that power still is there. Everybody has this and, and people don't believe it. It's like we do a 90 day program, telehealth only. That's what we do these days. Yeah. And uh, we do a five-year uh, monthly check on them. So we do a five-year like case management study on them. That's where we get our figures correct. Um, but, yeah, it's like I always say to my patients after about two minutes on the first session, I say, if me and you could swap places right now for 30 seconds, all your problems would be over. And they go, what do you mean? The definition of insanity is me not being able to see my own truth. That was me in, in alcoholism. You don't realize how powerful you are, how pretty you are, how thin you are. You know, all these things. We got, I've got to tell you, we, we my friend took up an old photograph and it was black and white photograph of me and him when we were bodybuilding. And he goes, Rob, look at this. And I was like, oh my God, look how thin we were. Look at this. Look how you oh, look at this. And he, and he said, God, those were the days, Rob. And I went, but we didn't know that then, did we? And he said, no. And I said, what if today's one of those days? And that's how I live my life. I am handsome, I'm good looking, and, and my body is what it should be. And, and whatever it is, I love what's going on today because we didn't know. You know, it's just flashing the pan and you're gone. It's like precious days, you know, to grab hold of. And again, the decision is yours. If you want a new job, go get a new job. If you want a new husband, go get a new husband. Well, he can't say that, Dr. Rob, it's not that easy. It really is. I'm sorry, but it really is. Because you don't want to sit there on United going, well, I should have done this, and now I'm 90, I can't do it. Go do stuff. Do what people say you can't do. Prove them wrong if need be. I know I did. You know, nobody expected me to, to be alive by now. In actual fact, I died twice on the streets. My heart stopped and they brought me back, and I'm living proof that if you want to go places, you can go places. Nobody's the only person that's stopping you is you. You know, oh, you heard about the, the, the experiment we did with a thousand fleas. We put a thousand fleas into a jar and we screwed the top on, huge mason jar, and we screwed the top on for three days. Obviously, had holes in it. We took the cap off, Dr. Roof, after three days, and the fleas that could jump three feet never jumped higher than where the cap was. Okay, which is interesting in itself. But when they had babies inside that jar, the babies wouldn't jump higher. And where the lid was. And that's learned behavior from parents. I'm not supposed to go and do that. I'm not supposed to go and do. Says who? Tell me, I don't like these rules. Says who? If you're sitting in one bedroom flat right now, ready to commit suicide, you can be a CEO of a company next year. 
You can get married again, get a girlfriend, get a boyfriend, whatever it is. You can do this stuff with the right therapist and the right doctor that can lead you that way because you can't lead yourself out of this. Yeah. I, I, it reminds me of the, um, the four-minute mile. You know, yeah. years ago, they said the four-minute mile can be broken. And I think it was Roger Bannister, wasn't it? Yes. Who, who, who broke it in, a, a, in, the, in Cambridge, Cambridge Quad, Quadrangle or wherever yes. it was he did it. And, um, and shortly after, people realising it could be broken, loads of people broke the four-minute mile because suddenly, the, you know, yeah. people had taken the lid off and realised, you know what? We only set that limit for our ourselves. It's, it's, it's look at the look at the Wright brothers. They, they proved it was mathematically impossible to fly. That they, they had a vision, and now look at us today. If ever if they'd have listened to the laughter, and they'd have listened to everybody, you know, taking it, taking the Mickey out of them, and just you know, just discrediting it, we wouldn't have flight today. But as soon as he did it, everyone else did it. Bannister, four minute mile, now everyone else can do it. You might be the guy sat at home now thinking your life's not up to much, that in five, two, three, four, five months' time, a year's time, is educating and encouraging someone else that position you were in, because that becomes our greatest asset to go forward. Because if you're listening to this podcast, don't you think you missed, you're not listening to this by mistake, believe me. You're listening for a reason. Why not be that leader? Yeah, I'm talking to you at home. You can hear me. Talking to you <laughs> on the floor, okay? And, and I think it's so important that we empower people. And uh, how is it that you uh, – I want to dive into this a little bit. I know we're coming to the end of the show, but I think it's a really important thing. What, what would you say the three things that really you use to really help empower people to know that they've got the power themselves to take back control? They don't necessarily need the drugs. They don't necessarily – uh, need those limiting beliefs. <coughs> they, don't they don't need the the alcohol. Well, we're, we're sneaky, Doctor Ruth. You know, <laughs> we will stage things to make something happen. Someone is after a girlfriend. Once we staged in a pub that we hired for the night and got girl. As soon as he talks to his girlfriend for two hours, this girl he went out next night and got his own girlfriend. You know, stuff like that. So I think proving to them that it's possible. And I think my own experience encourages them that it's possible and then change behavior. You know, we start by brushing their hand with the non-dominant hand or whatever is you brush your teeth and all this behavior that you know of, of course. Uh, and then just telling them on a constant basis. If I, if I told a lie, you might believe it, you might not. If I told you enough, you're going to believe it. If I told you a lie real often enough, I'm going to start to believe it. So we use that tactic as well is what we hear repeatedly is what we become all of the time. Once that basal ganglia, which mine has a chink at about five till if it was around clock, because it is really, the chink there is self-sabotage every time. Once we take that out, then you have the smooth running of repetition. You know, once you start doing something every single day, that's who you become. Because I'm not who I used to be. I'm who I, what, what I repeatedly do today. Yeah. Can't think about the future. So when them three uh, tools, we call them, uh, uh, explained, followed by proven behavior, well, we might set some, we might not. We just make sure that they are getting, and sometimes subliminal messages are awesome, you know? Oh, yeah. Really good. I mean, so powerful. But we took a guy in Dallas once who 
I mean, Dallas or Texas has a, do- a, a drink called Dr. Pepper and everybody is loyal to Dr. Pepper. And in Texas, are very proud of that. So not a lot of Coke gets drank. But we took this guy out and he was a, a, he was a businessman, Texas guy. And we took him around in a car for about an hour and we went past these Coca-Cola signs. And when he got out of the office, he was a discarded Coca-Cola on the floor where we put it. And when he got into the elevator, there was a bottle of Coke in the corner. And he walked into the office and I sit and said, what would you like to drink? And he went, oh, let me try one of them Cokes. That blew my mind. It's like, oh, we can, we can lead people to anything they want to do. And they do it. You know, they, you know, food companies are very sneaky <coughs> with changing your mindset and making you want to pick certain drinks by the way they position them in, in the refrigerator. Uh, yes. And they've done lots of studies on this as how, how you can easily shift behaviours by shifting the placement of certain drinks yes. and certain parts of just just from an eye level and and that's how people people um, market junk food um, yeah it, it's putting it where your eye can see it to, to make yeah. sure that you you buy it um, yeah. yeah and I, I think it's so important that we know that we're our, our mind is such an incredibly powerful thing uh, and, and can unlock so much hidden potential inside us that we can't even possibly begin to imagine because the brain is the final frontier. Which not not so much is known about the brain. I and know. It's that, that final frontier in science. It's on, but we, I mean, we probably the alcoholism world, probably 20% we know, or I know that I'm going to delve into more. But yeah, the brain is so powerful and can achieve so much, but we don't dream, we don't. You know, and keep thinking the lids on. Stop putting the brakes on your imagination, guys. You know, if you want to become a CEO, I want to become a bike rider or motor. Take steps towards it, and whether it's God, universe, Uncle Jimmy, luck, whatever it is, you'll start moving in that direction. Once your basal ganglia takes hold of that, the repetition of said process will become a reality. You know, it's it really is as simple as that. Yeah, but but there's no buts. A question I ask all the time is, how bad do you want this? Well, how bad do you want it? Because I can guarantee I can get you there. But there's only you stopping us. And right now, they've kicked that dream out of you. So it doesn't become a reality anymore. It becomes a past distant thought pattern that's buried between all the trauma and other thought patterns that's telling you you can't do it. And that needs to change. And I think it's also... You know, for me, it's not letting someone else's bad relationship that they had with you be the relationship you had with yourself. I, I have a saying, Dr. Ruth, that covers that. If you don't heal uh, from a cut that somebody else does to you, then you'll bleed over everybody else in the future. You know, it's very important. Great line you just said. Very important that we do that because that's learned behavior. And if you don't break learned behavior then it's all behavior you start acting out and that becomes current behavior. So you really need to take a look how powerful you are, who your friends are, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, uh, get rid of any toxic people around you. Uh, I was in Dallas for 12 years, Dr. Ruth, and I said to my guys, I'm thinking of writing a book. One of them laughed. The other one sends up, it's so stupid, you, you're not an author. So I never wrote a book. I've been in San Antonio for three years and about two months after I got here, I said to my new friends, I'm thinking of writing a book. One of them said, oh, my God, I thought you had books out there. The other guy said, oh, my God, I would definitely buy that. So I wrote a book. 
that's what we've got to be careful of. The people around you will change you because you're you. So you yeah. lose your power. Take your power back, guys, yeah. and take it to the next level. One of the things we ask people on their deathbed, and we, did, we went through a 12-month period where we asked, you know, friends and family if you can see granddads or grandmother, and we had a line coming up repeatedly, and the line was, while they were passing away, is I thought I had more time. And that really struck me. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Because I went to bed last night, Dr. Ruth. I was 19 years old. I woke up this morning. I'm 61. And I kid you not, that's how fast life goes. So if you want something, you make sure you go for it. You know, if you want to get rid of the addiction or mindset and trauma, take steps forward to do that. And you will, will accomplish And it's that step forward and don't be afraid beat yourself up if you fall off the wagon. You just gotta to learn to get back on. <clears throat> exactly. I mean, how many time have people gone? The Beatles tried something like 14 record companies. Out of the 14, nine of them said, you'll never make a record in your life. You're terrible, blah, blah, blah. But they kept getting up and going back and getting up. Anyway, they got up one day and somebody signed them. Same with Oasis. I, them two guys in Oasis, personal friends of mine. I remember them going to Glasgow that night to play in a band because the drummer they took was my drummer, Tony. But they were adamant. They were adamant that they were going to become rock and roll stars and nothing else was going to stop them. And if you think enough, so it is, you know. It's just incredible what you can be once you visionize that. And then people start treating you like you're that, which is crazy when other people start treating you because that's what you are. If you want to be a millionaire, start acting like one. If you want to be a doctor, start acting like one. If you want to be a truck driver, start acting like one. It's amazing how it will fit into place. And one day you'll be that person that you dreamt of because it you is. You have to easy. step into it. You have to step yeah. into that future self or it'll never be that, you'll never become it. Exactly. I have a great video in the brain that shows neural pathways being connected. Um, and the bottom neural pathway is thick. And the top one that's connecting is thin. And I tell people, every neural pathway to success, to health, to wealth, to anything else you want to do is already inside the head. The clever part of is connecting new thought patterns to that. Once the connect is, it's solidified. They cannot be broken. You've won. Yeah, I love that. Given this is this show is all about brain health, unchaining your pain, what one piece of advice would you ever, would you give to somebody who's struggling with alcohol? Start dialogue. Start dialogue with somebody. Don't be ashamed. You know, if you have to ask, you think I'm an alcoholic, then you probably are, even though it's the only self-diagnosed illness. But start dialogue with somebody. That's it, guys. Once you're on your own, living on your own, away from people, keeping it secret, it'll eat your lunch. Start dialogue. Ask that question. Can you help me? That's all it is. Four words. Can I help me? Can you help me? That's all. Do it. You'll never regret it. Yeah. I love that piece of advice and thank you for sharing that. And I know Les Brown mentions that ask for help, not because you're weak, ask for help so that you may remain strong. Yes. Because we often think that it could be, it's a weakness to ask for help and actually it is absolutely not. It's an, it's going to take you to that next level in life. 100%. Um, and everybody who's, who's successful always asks for help because you can't go it alone. No, you really can't because don't remember we can't say our own truth. So, when somebody else is involved and they start telling you the truth and you go, wow, really? Is that me? And you go, yeah, you can't do this on your own. Your internal dialogue will take you down, period. Your internal dialogue is very clever. The internal dialogue, when I steal something, I can feel it in my stomach. I know it's wrong, 
but with an internal dialogue, when I, when I get my wife flowers or I pay for a vacation for her, it's a different voice. Have a guess what voice addiction brings, the one you're going to check flowers to the wife. Hey, don't you think it'd be a great idea to stick in this room and not speak to anybody? No. Call somebody. Start dialogue. It'll change your life, believe me. Start dialogue. You heard it here from Dr. Rob. Dr. Rob, how can people get hold of you and start some dialogue with yourself? <laughs> I love that intro. I love that where you put that together. Rob Kelly, I spell my name with two B's. So R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y is the website. Or put Dr. Rob Kelly in any search engine. You'll come to me. But listen, guys, you know, I, people always say, yeah, everybody says they help somebody. Listen, we run a big company. We, I have a big company. I have systems around me. I have, you know, office managers around me. You, reset, you can't usually get to me. But listen, listen carefully. If you're in that place of the suicide, if you're in that place of the never think you're amount to anything, if you're in that place of alcoholism or addiction that you don't think is a way out, I live in America, so do the plus four, four, whatever it is. Two one four six zero 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 two one zero is my personal cell phone number. I would rather give you a 10 minute pet talk, which I will, or I'll send you a hundred dollars than hear of your funeral months after. Oh, that is so kind. Could you just say that? I know uh, you've mentioned your number, but just say it again because I, I know some people would probably want to uh, make a note of it. Of course, two one four. Six zero 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 two one zero. I'm in Texas, America, so I think it's plus one or plus, plus four. One, four. Yeah. yeah, plus one. So yeah, call me, guys, and uh, jump on the website. There's a book there, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking, which is the last thing my daughter said to me before the authorities took him off me. It's nine dollars. Buy it if you like it. Te text me. I'll send you money back to give it to somebody else. And uh, there's lots of stuff on there, lots of fun stuff and, and TV and radio stuff that we do. So awesome. I hope you enjoy it, guys. Yeah. And do do make sure you check out Dr. Rob Kelly's website. Uh, it's Rob, R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com. Make sure you check out all of the resources he's got on there and do connect with him. You connect with him on Facebook as well. Dr. Rob, it's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being willing to share your journey, for being willing to do the the deep work as well and uh, and go deep in some of the difficult topics that we've <clears> talked about today and um, if there's anything i can do to support you um with the mission and the vision that you have it's a topic that's really close to my heart um just please let's just connect after this yeah. and see how we can support each other remember everyone this show is all about brain health unchaining your pain you're not stuck with the brain you have you have the power to make it better you have extraordinary power as dr Rob has just mentioned here. Um, take care of yourself uh, and look after yourself and remember to reach out for help and ask for help if you need it in whatever way you can. It's great to have you, Dr. Rob. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you so much. Awesome. Yay. Thank you so much. No, thank, thank you so you. much. That's great. Absolutely great. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> what inspired you to come on the, the show in the first place? I know Courtney reached out to me. Is there anything that 
I saw I saw a piece or something I saw. I can't remember when it was. I because I'm doing so so much stuff during the day. I'll, Ten minutes off, so I'll jump on the internet. And I, you said something, or I can't remember what it was. And it was like, "Wow, hang on a second. <laughs> and then what? She usually goes out and finds the intriguing places. Uh, but I, I called her and said, "Hey, Dr. Ruth Allen, go find her. Get me on a show. She sounds just like me. She's amazing. She's got you know a beautiful heart. So that's what she did." Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. And it's been a real pleasure. I'm going to end the recording now, but it's been a <laughs> real pleasure having you and I've really enjoyed the chat and I know we could have gone on tour for ages. Yes, yes. So much stuff. So is there anything else?